I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. This is Tom Morello, and you are listening to Maximum Firepower. It is a great honor to have as my guest today legendary rapper and activist Chuck D of Public Enemy and of Prophets of Rage. Chuck, it is so excellent to see you. How are you, sir? Wow. You know, without the intro, I think we've done this before. Yes. <laughs> It's so nice to see you. Chuck and I have spent a lot of time. You know, it is crazy because they say some, you know, sometimes like don't meet your heroes because, you know, love the art and, you know, be skeptical about the artist. But Chuck D really, you know, in our years spent together, really is as advertised, right? a great person as well as a great rapper. And we have had a lot of adventures around the world. Many of those adventures have focused around the topic of baseball, which is what we're going to be discussing today. So, Chuck, tell me what, like, let's just start, like, let's compare our introductions to America's pastime. How did you get into baseball to begin with? Dad, Mets fan. Mets were a National League team. My dad grew up as a Brooklyn Dodger fan, born in Harlem. Although the Giants were in the polo grounds within an eyelash away on Coogan's Bluff, Jackie Robinson, when he broke into the minor leagues in 1946 in Montreal, and then everybody knew he was coming to the major leagues the next year, that borough in New York was Brooklyn. But therefore, by default, Every single black person in New York became a Brooklyn Dodger fan. Overnight. Yeah, I was overnight. You know, and the Giants had gotten a black player player by the end of the year, Hank Thompson, by the end of 1947. But you know, yeah, so close, but so far, the yeah. you know, matter just <laughs> too late. So the Dodgers had the black fans. The Dodgers moved out of New York in 1958 to go to Los Angeles. There was no National League team. In New York City, people weren't flocking to the Yankees, especially not black fans, because the Yankees were the next to last team to have a black player, although they they harbored many in their minor league system and they just couldn't float to the top of a stacked lineup. And plus, you know, you had the Kansas City A's who were unofficially the Yankees minor league team while being a major league team. So yeah. anybody that, that would be big on Kansas City, then they say the Yankees would go and trade for them or buy them, similar to now, right? So was no National League team. Then the Mets came in 1962. I was born in 1960. That's how that happened. So introduction to baseball in the house, and I really got turned out the year after the Mets won the World Series. So mm. I remember the year they won the World Series, 1969. As a Cubs yeah. fan, I remember that well too. As oh, I yeah, was a little, did, I was right? a little. Well, I was a little kid, but that that was the year where the Cubs were, you know, like Hurt 14. 14 games up on the Mets or something, and the Black Cat went around Ron Santo, yep. all, part of the, all part of the curse, which we'll get to later, but, uh, but go yes, on. Yes, and, and we, we relished in that. And then the next 1970 was the year I all of a sudden got a taste of Major League Baseball, and I loved the game in 1970, and I had my heart broken when we didn't win the division where I thought it was going to be automatic. And uh, we returned to the World Series in 73. But that period, 1970, really was the beginning point and I became obsessed with the game. 
For me, the introduction to baseball was my family was not really a sporting family, but my aunt Isabel was a big fan of the Chicago Cubs. Would bring me to I went to Wrigley Field the first time when I was four years old, and I really do hearken back on you know this is like the lovable losers, and while there were great players, you know Ernie Banks and Billy Williams and Fergie Jenkins and Ron Santo. While there were great players, it was a team that self-identified as an underdog, self-identified yes. as like the low rung on the ladder that aspired to something that seemed impossible. And so then looking at my career as an activist, I reflect on how that fertilized the soil of who I was. And like I was of a tribe of those that dreamed of a better world, of dreamed of sort of like redemption, but it seemed like an impossible hill to climb. There were these factors that were... You were part of the problem as a fan. Like, we were all part of the curse. And then there were these, yes. sort of like these outside factors that were, like, sort of oppressing us. The salary cap, the Wrigley family, whatever. But it really made me, in later years, reflect that certainly one of the engines for my self-identifying with the global underdogs was being a Cubs fan. Did you ever think, Tom, that when you were growing up and you say, this is impossible, we're not even getting to the six-team division yes. lead. We're not, we're yes. not even winning the six-team yes. division championships to 84. And yes. did you ever think that's like, maybe it's because we just play day games? Well, that was certainly an idea that was proffered at the time, that somehow the day games are more draining. And then later, when I grew up to like know and spend some time with Chicago Cubs Major League Baseball players and went out, say, drinking with them, I mean, there was one, <laughs> there was one guy <laughs> who will remain nameless. He was behind the plate. And you know, and, you know, but saying something <laughs> to me, I'm, I'm guessing that I'm, I'm guessing four names. It was behind you know, one of those are those four names. So I'm he was right. he, he was behind he was behind the plate, and the other batters on the other team would often complain that they could like smell the Jägermeister on his breath at noon game. So that might have been a contributing factor to, to the Cubs not winning. Yeah, but uh, the Cubs had but Cubs had excuses. All they had to do is go back and say in 1930, Hack Wilson hits 56 home runs, drives in. 190 runs, right? Yeah. In 1930. And, and he was every, drunk during the game. Every day he yeah. was deep in the whiskey. He, he was drunk during the day. He was drunk during the day. Yeah. Yes. But it was for those of you that don't know, there there was this alleged curse that the curse the Cubs, the Billy Goat curse, where this guy right. who would come to Wrigley Field with his goat. I'm not sure why there was like a livestock exemption or you could buy a ticket for your barnyard animal, but he would come to Wrigley Field with his goat. And then one day they said, Mr. Santini, you can't come to the and he said, I put a curse on you. It was known as the Billy Goat curse. Since that time, a lot of supernatural events happened. From the time that the curse was put on the Cubs, they never returned to the World Series again. And, you know, from the 1969, when the Mets were up on them by like about 14 games, a, literally a black cat came on the field, circled one of our best players, Ron Santo, stared into the dugout. We lost our 14-game lead. To the Bartman game. Anyway, there's a lot of just like... Tra Amazing. Tra tragedy. Ama Amazing, like super funny, crazy stuff. But we, I had built into my will that if I should perish without the Chicago Cubs winning a World Series, if they did win the World Series in my children's or grandchildren's lifetimes, there were all of these caveats of what those kids had to do from throwing ashes to clipping ivy. Fortunately, in 2016, we, they were absolved of those horrendous responsibilities. Yes. And I would think that Tom Morello had something to do with because this, this is the year that Tom Morello brings the Prophet of Rage crew. That's and correct. Chuck D. That's as correct. His guest That's to correct. Wrigley Field for the first time. For the first time. You were a part of it. You were a part of part it. Part of it. And then afterwards, takes me along State Street 
and does <laughs> disco dancing in seven or eight clubs across the street. And this is like this is like at four forty-five p.m. By the way, like this is four forty-five. It was a day game, seven to seven. You we know? enjoy we enjoy our game. Hey, hey, hey listen, man, it's to be relished in, in my memory forever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I would like let's let's now share what is your some of your greatest baseball memories from little league to being at a game to something you watched on TV. Give me one or two of those. Yeah, one or two. So I'm going to the Rolodex. I'm going through a hundred. So I'll give you mm -hmm. one. Going to the Tiger Stadium, 1974, visiting my grandfather and going to the game with my dad, my grandfather, my brother, and then getting autographs afterwards. And this one player refused to give me his autograph. And I I won't name this player. I think you should. We, no, no, I won't. And then I go all the way to the end because I, I was a, I mean, before baseball cards became the thing to collect, I was obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. only baseball, but I always wanted to go to Evanston, Illinois. You know why? Why? Because that's where they, they had baseball. That was Baseball Digest headquarters. Oh, sure. I well, Who didn't subscribe to the Baseball Digest? I mean, you had, right. to know, you had to know what was going on. And one of my goals, I wanted to be the crossword puzzle illustrator. <laughs> the two crossword puzzle a lofty ambition dodge. i know right a lofty I ambition be, i was obsessed with baseball digests and and this particular I, I collected cards autographs and all so this particular game like you know after the game you could go right to the clubhouse oh wow the clubhouse outside of i mean it was like clubhouse street yeah, you know? yeah, 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 and so the players are coming into the street. So the security was like, "Okay, yeah, sure." You know, he collected autographs. So you know, we got the flattened uh, cup holders that you had all the, the drinks in, yes. and getting them signed, right? And you know, who comes out? You know, uh, Mickey Lolich and then Joe Liss, and I know all the players at the particular time. This one player was probably the star of that particular time for the Cleveland Indians. It was the Indians versus the Tigers, and I asked him and. He said, nah. I asked him again. He said, nah. Then my dad asked him, and he said, nah. And I followed this guy all the way out to the cabs. And my dad was like, you know, you know, we're from New York. My dad, you know, my son follows all you guys. He got your baseball cards. The guy says, move, get away from the cab. And <laughs> so I see the disappearing red lights into the Tiger Stadium Street disappearing into the night. It was the reverse of Joe Green. That's a sad a tragic tale but what would happen it also taught me a life lesson Tom. every time he would come up to the plate my dad would be watching the game i'd be watching the game and my dad would be like hey chuck your boy is up <laughs> and, and it taught me in saying that what could take you only three seconds i didn't know whether i was going to be famous mm. or anybody yes what yeah. could take you like three seconds it can go the other way and last for a lifetime that's right so for as i mean that only was like what Five minutes of my life, that whole autograph yes. ordeal. And, and you're talking about it now. I'm talking about it now with the yeah. same energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm you're talking about off, it now. Bro. Yeah. I'm pissed yeah. off. So I won't name his name, but I, it is kind of like a joke now. Yeah. But it taught me, yep. that, like later on, I mean, who the hell? I, I never thought I was going to be famous doing any particular thing. Like I said, yeah. I wanted to be a crossword puzzle artist. Puzzle, I mean, puzzle I artist. To, yeah. yeah, I want to be in the, in the background, behind the scenes. But I, it taught me that. If somebody comes to me, I'm going to think about the three seconds of quality I can give them 
And then you just move it on and, and, and they're happy. You're happy. You, you yeah. go on to the other thing or you might, yeah. you know, you, you, people can understand if you're in a surrounding circle of 30 and I've seen you do the same thing. It's like you got 30 people around you, you know, you got, you know, security say, all right, listen, we got to get on this bus or this train or whatever. Mathematics says, you know, in time, you only could probably sign five. But yeah. if they see you giving the effort to five, the 25 could say, all right, you know what? He was cool. I just didn't get in. Yeah. If if you just buff off the whole 30, if, if you slam if you slam the cab door in the face of a child. <laughs> move, move, that's, get back. Poof. That's you know? a whole so, that's a whole different karmic energy right there. <laughs> yeah. So that's my one baseball story. Well, that is uh, that is uh, yeah, so man. so so for me, like, you know, as a die hard cub fan, as someone who, you know, has provisions in my will, thinking that this will not happen, I was at the Bartman game. You know, I was twenty-five seats away from Steve Bartman when the Cubs blew it in, in 2003, really feeling it wasn't going to oh, happen. Man. Yeah, really feeling it wasn't going to happen during my lifetime. In 2016, it's the championship game against the Los Angeles Dodgers at Wrigley Field. I'm at the game with my firstborn son, you know, it, like in case it might happen. Now, it's been 108 years, 108 years since the Cubs have won the World Series. And here's a chance to return. Here's a chance to return to the World Series and, this and night. No, no, no big pun intended. Tinker's yeah. Evers and Chance was the last yeah. time they won it. Exactly, exactly. Tinker's Evers and Chance was the last time what with Mordecai Brown. So with right. Three Finger Brown. So Who cut um, off his hair, a finger in a, in a farming accident on his and, farm, and still made it to the Hall of Fame. There's a yep. lesson in that. There's a lesson in that part. So I'm in the stands with my with the with the greatest expectation, like in my life, and the Cubs are winning, and they have a a, a closer named Aroldness Chapman, who's just a like a monster of a pitcher pitches 115 miles an hour pitches as fast as anyone has ever thrown a baseball in human history right in right, history right and his walk on music is rage against the machines wake up wow and he, he comes in and he closes out the game and i'm in the stands with my son with rage against the machine playing and the cubs making their first trip to the world series now they get to the world series and it's the 2016 world series against the cleveland indians one of the most dramatic world series of all time Right. I'll t- I don't know that I ever told you this story. So, so in two th- the year before Ernie Banks died, I had the opportunity to uh, sing the seventh inning stretch with him at Wrigley Field, which was really yeah, great. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, he got to meet he got to meet my kids, and afterwards, I was like, Ernie, what's it going to take for the Cubs to finally win the World Series? He didn't answer. He just pointed skyward. Ernie Banks passes. The Cubs now are in the World Series in 2016. It is Game Seven. And it is, the Cubs have come back for a 3-1 deficit. We're tied 3-3. We're, we're headed into extra innings, and it starts to – the Cubs had had momentum. They were winning. Now the score is tied. It looks like, once again, the curse has asserted itself, and we're going to lose. And then it starts raining. It's a 16-, 17-minute rain delay that changes the entire vibe. Yes. The Cubs come back. The Cubs win the game. The first time they won the World Series in uh, 108 years. And I've reflected on that rain. And Ernie Banks pointing towards the sky when asked what it would take for the Cubs to win the World Series. Perhaps. Wow. I'm not a superstitious person, but I reflected on that moment at that time when I said, what will it take for the Cubs to win the World Series? And Ernie Banks now in heaven somewhere, perhaps raining down on us and giving that final chance to win. That's my baseball story. That's the most incredible story, man, I've heard. And I've heard it before to a certain extent, but hearing it right now. It's something that that I mean. Ernie Banks points to the sky and says, "Rain." Yeah, <laughs> we, but we didn't hear that. We didn't hear that. We didn't hear that. 
I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. My guest today is Chuck D., the legendary MC and baseball fan. I would like to ask you about, you recently released a song. A lot of our heroes that were on the baseball cards that we coveted as children and as adults have passed away in the last... And on, we had a lot of heroes on baseball cards and off baseball cards. You know, That's right. 2020 was a bear. We don't mm-hmm. even need to go into that, how much of a bear it was. It beat everybody down. As far as baseball players and Hall of Famers and known names and marketed names from our era on up, uh, maybe marketing was at a different point where all these names, I had a, even a greater reverence uh, because uh, I was in our time and during more of a mass media time. So... Names like Lou Brock and Tom Seaver, Joe, Joe Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. These were like household names. Yeah, yeah. And then I wrote the song. I reached out to you, Tom. I said, well, you know, I, I didn't know it, it was going to be any chance to actually do it. Let me call Tom to see if he'd be on it. You were busy. You was doing a bunch of different things. So I just finished the song. But it was the total embodiment of trying to just pay honor and tribute to, to our past, our passion the game as two black men we've seen the game lose its way on connecting with our people because to me it's it's the epitome of of, hey everybody no matter where you are no matter who you are let's all get together and play this game you cannot play the game by yourself it's not like going to a basketball court that's right and and, you know and just you know taking shots and whatever and playing one on none i mean (laughs) baseball although as a kid i used to you know, be on the on my street and just hitting a ball. The problem was that I had to go get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the minute I think yeah. I'm turning into Willie McCovey, it's yeah. more of a problem. Yeah, the bet the bet the better you got, the worse the game got when it's <laughs> when you're playing. <laughs> I know. So I mean, I wrote a song to it and uh it crazy enough. I do you have said, a do you have a verse? Do you have a can you give us a verse from it? Well, I know I got my scattered notes up in here where it's scribbled and scrawled. Because it's such a lovely, it's a lovely okay, homage. Okay, you know, feel the dreams. You may not believe it. 2020, Bob Gibson versus Tom Seaver. Line up today, stack bottom to the top. Lead off hitter, great Lou Brock. Pitch on the way, single, stolen base. Second on deck, Joe Morgan at the plate. MVP two times, the big red machine. Better get them out now before the Astros wipe them clean. You know, also you had uh, the passing of Bob Watson. And, you know, as as you know, Tom, you meet a lot of people on the way. If it's yeah. not your heroes, you meet probably somebody who's the son <laughs> or the daughter of your heroes. And uh, I'm a good friend with uh, Keith Watson, the son of Bob. We were playing Houston one time, and Bob came on down to one of our shows you know, and uh, Keith, you know, he was not too strong. He was frail. And this is the bull, you know, and he also passed in 2020, which was really the impetus of me making this song. And then I sent uh, a copy of it to Hal Reynolds, my friend at, over at Major League Baseball Network, and he was all over it. He was like, oh, yo, yo, can we actually go on it? And I was like, I was just sending it to you just to send to you. Just like, yeah, boom. Yeah. And he was and he made a big expose on it became a real big thing and and i'm always constantly being asked to talk about this song and i said listen we're songwriters we're music makers and we feel that you know when people look into music a lot of times you know you and i both get people coming to us and 
and they and they kind of get lost on where to start, what topic to hit at. You know, it's like I got the music, but I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, there's plenty of things to say. And you don't try to say in your song, don't try to make a song for the business. Make the song for your heart and your art. Yep. And then they'll find a business somewhere, you know. But and that's where that came from. I wanted to answer to my passion. And coincidentally, Tom, I'm I told Harold Reynolds in uh the other day, I said, I'm gonna make a song about the game that sold me the game. And that was the 1971 Major League All-Star game. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not only gonna make the song, but I'm also I've also done like five pieces of artwork about the, the yeah, game about the game and i mean and that's what you've done your you've really lived your entire career as an artist first and foremost and put your passions forward including baseball so i this is a story that i know that i've told you before chuck but since we're talking about baseball i cannot leave it out of this particular particular episode as i said it was my aunt isabel who got me into the cubs as a kid brought me to wrigley field when i was four years old and you know, and christened me with the with the blessing and the curse of being a, a lifelong Cubs fan. She lived 82 years without seeing the Cubs win the World Series. She passed, wow. you know, and, you know, and, and her, at her eulogy, the Cubs stuff was discussed, you know, in, in great detail. So when I was at Game 7 in Cleveland, uh, the night that the Cubs did win the World Series, I, I, of course, brought a photograph of her, you know, so that when the the final out came, you know, and everybody was crying, like she could sort of be there in a way. Now, I had followed the Cubs around during this playoff chase. And so my poor wife was home kind of being like a single mom with the kids for a while. And she, she's like, okay, you know, finally he's going to come home. <laughs> he got this thing out of his system. And then I said, honey, I got, uh, I need one more day. And she paused and she said, ah, I understand. What I did was I flew back to the small town graveyard where my aunt Isabel is buried, planted the W flag on her grave, Popped wow. a bottle of champagne and read her the Chicago Tribune sports section front to back. And that was it. And then I was just like, and thank you. <laughs> so sports gives and it takes away. But that was really a moment that it like uh, for a lifetime and a family moment that was very, very deeply meaningful. Hey, yeah. Explain, explain the fuel for your life. That's what it's about. Exactly. There's got to be some kind of fuel in your veins to make yeah, you do yeah, what yeah. you do. Yeah. And, 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 and we're blessed by being able to be in the arts because whatever we got in us, you know, we can get it out. Yeah. And everybody got art in them, but the, the hard part is, can they get it out? And they have yeah. to be, you know, encouraged, mentored in many cases, taught, uh, directed how to get it out. Right. 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 And if they can't get it out, they got to seek entertainment, seek, uh, something that engages them into life. You got to have something in your veins and, and the fuel got to be something. And we're fortunate that we're fueled by so many different things and, and, and we love it. Now, Chuck, did you, did you ever play little league or, or, or your kids ever play little league? I sucked. Mm. I thought, I thought I sucked and then I got good, but then uh, it was too late. And then yeah. I realized how good I wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went to a high school that damn near was like, they were damn near a college team. They yeah, were so good, yeah, you yeah. know, and, um, Matter of fact, one of the main pitches uh, on on my high school team, he would have duels against the great Frank Viola. You know, oh right? my so gosh, yeah, I went, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, yeah. I, but I knew that I wasn't going to be an athlete. So then, I, the next thing I wanted to always be is a, a sportscaster. I mean, yes, I, you I'm certainly have the voice for it. Yeah, well, I'm a big. I, that's where my chops first came from. It didn't come yeah. from rap. There was no such thing as rap. 
So I would actually relish in the trying to sound like Kurt Gowdy or, or Lindsey Nelson or Bob Murphy, the Mets announcers and uh, Bill White. You know, give us a give us a play call. Well, since you're going to be pitching, Morello, <laughs> stepping up to the plate is Ernie Banks, Banks' right hand hitter. 511 homers, as far as I'm counting. Anyway, he points to the sky, looks at Morello. Morello looks over at first base, into the stretch, down the pitch, on the way, foul. Anyway, there was a, a diner that was open across the street on State Street. I heard Morello went over there and had a few drinks and then came and pitched a shutout last week. But this is a whole entire another game at Wrigley Field and the pitch on the way, low and outside. It's you know, that type of thing. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, Chuck D., thank you very much. I'm Tom Morello. This has been Maximum Firepower. It has been a great pleasure discussing America's pastime with you. And uh, I'll see you in the bleachers uh, or on the stage. And I uh, love you, man. It's always great to love see you. Love you, too, Tom. And you're a natural. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take it easy. But take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.